Welcome to This Week in Common Sense, starring Paul Jacob. My name is Timothy Verkulo. We are about to cover the big stories that have appeared on thisiscommonsense.org for the first week of November 2021. So, Paul, where do we begin? I had a quote to open up. I also want to mention on that same day, the Committee of Correspondence. As a kid, I always thought, you know, what the the hell was that? You know, it wasn't, you're not throwing any tea in the harbor. You're not, you know, you're not, I don't know, you're not doing anything very exciting. You're you're writing letters to people. Um, But the committees of correspondence were were really important. Were they the propaganda wing of the revolution? Is that how it worked? I I don't see them as the propaganda wing so much as the uh, social organizational wing. In other words, it was uh, I think it was kind of essential uh, communication to open up if you expected people to seriously be concerned that Boston Harbor was being you know blockaded or that you know something was happening somewhere else. And it, it, in some ways, in my view, in my humble opinion, being a non-historian, historian, I think it it created America. I think that that was the essential, that, that was the most important act in turning a bunch of different colonies into one country in, in, in the real sense of how people felt Okay. that, that that it grew from there. So uh, that was our that was our November second election day. Uh, uh, Today in Freedom post was about uh, Sam Adams, who we pictured, uh, and Joseph Warren formed the first committee of correspondence, instrumental in preparing the colonies uh, for their 1776 breakaway from the British Empire of George III. But we say from instead of for. Oops. <laughs> yeah, got, I just noticed we have a typo. I, I Stop it. the presses. Stop the presses. <laughs> what an awful thing. Um, <laughs> Heads will roll. Yeah, yeah. Well, there the were entire, actually a... That entire wing needs to go, Tim. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I was just going to say that I understood that the East India Company uh, wanted to control those committees of co- uh, correspondence uh, for fake news and false information and misleading <laughs> thought. So... I think there was a lot of dark money behind those those uh, letters and uh, so on. There was a, another post that day, which was our, which we have every day, which is our thought. And this thought was by Henry David Thoreau. And he says, and this is in Civil Disobedience, which I was, uh, I, I think is one of the best things ever written about government. And, uh, and I remember when I read it in school, I thought... <laughs> Did, so, did somebody high up make a mistake? They're, they're letting me read this. Uh, anyway, uh, uh, but Thoreau says, unjust laws exist. Shall we be content to obey them or shall we endeavor to amend them and obey them until we have succeeded or shall we transgress them at once? You know, that's a, that's kind of a... Uh, uh, you know, your poetic license, uh, there's kind of a little poetry in, uh, in, in what people think is right or wrong on that. There are some laws where I think you transgress them at once. 
and there are some that you might, you know, you might just kind of it, no skin off your nose and, and go along. And of course, I sure think a lot of times we want to change them, which is, which is nice. That's, yeah. and, and it's something that, uh, having been in a lot, involved in a lot of different politics, both politics that changes laws, like we amended a whole bunch of state constitutions for term limits. Uh, some were statutes, but most of them are constitutional amendments. And we did have charter amendments at the local level. We've worked on eminent domain reform and, and tax measures and, and uh, citizen only voting measures in, in recent years. And uh, it's, it's nice to be able to say, okay, we changed the law. Because so often being involved in politics is being involved in arguments. <laughs> and arguments are almost never won. And they just go on and on and on. And, and it seems to me that, that especially as, as I get older, I'm, I'm past 21 now, uh, I, I just think that you know, in, the, in the time we have, we want to be seriously aimed at making real changes, not just talking stuff and uh and that means that that you change the law and and of course that's where the rubber meets the road in 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 terms of non-compliance sometimes if it's the law you know it, it's these these mass mandates you know uh i'm vaccinated uh i have to say i'm i i didn't feel a whole lot safer after i got vaccinated because i had covid i think i had some immunities I'm, I'm, I'm not skinny. Uh, who knows what they're changing the rules. Maybe I, I am obese, but I don't feel like uh, I have any real terrible factors. I'm older, getting older, uh, you know, for COVID. So I'm not sure I would have gotten vaccinated if it hadn't been that I wanted to travel last weekend. I was, I was out of the country and I couldn't have done it if I hadn't been vaccinated. And uh, so I, I'm not kind of anti-vaccine. But of course, we had one script uh, Fridays uh, where we made it very clear that um, we think there should be no mandate. Um, and, and, you know, Mr. Biden seems to think he's got some power that you, I just don't see it anywhere. I don't see it in the law. I don't see it in the Constitution. And it'll be interesting to see it get into court. And of course, uh, the Daily Wire, uh, Ben Shapiro's outfit uh, taking it to court. I was pretty impressed. We were just, we were talking about how oh they've got a hundred employees. Uh, that's a pretty big shop. Um, but anyway, uh, hopefully something will happen on that. But the 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 uh, the two scripts. And last week we we pulled out a script and and talked primarily about one. I want to talk about two uh, this week uh, primarily. And and the first one was on Monday de-licensing the opposition. And it's about uh, a doctor, Scott Jensen, who is uh, running for governor uh, in Minnesota and has, has done the unthinkable. He has spoken out about his views on mask wearing and COVID and so on and so on. Um, I don't think he says anything that, that anybody has any scientific evidence is just Looney Tunes. Um, and, and yet he is facing his fifth 
complaint process over his uh, medical license. And when we say that we live in a country where you have free speech, it doesn't mean there aren't consequences. Your neighbors may not like what you said. They may never talk to you again. Um, you know, there's all kinds of things. You could lose your job if you said something outrageous enough. Your boss says, I can't have this guy working with me anymore. Um, all kinds of things could happen. But those should happen because free people made free decisions on their own accord. It should not happen because the government decides that you can't say that and that the government has some license that it can bestow upon you, but, oh, it can make it rough if you, if you don't toe the line. That's not freedom of speech. It is, and it's especially serious in this case. This is someone running for office. This is someone uh, speaking about important issues of the day. If you, you know, look, if you've got freedom of speech, when it's sunny and 75 degrees and it's Sunday afternoon and everything's perfect in the world, if that's the only time you got free speech, then you don't have free speech. You have to have free speech in pandemics. And when you run for office, you know, this reminds me a little bit. I remember years ago in Egypt, I'd laugh. I, nothing's funny about this at all, but I just, you know, I get tired of crying. Um, but, uh, in Egypt, I remember reading the story about the guy challenging Mubarak at the time, uh, apparently forged signatures to get on the ballot, so they had to arrest him. And I remember just stopping for a second and thinking, you know what? I don't think he forged signatures. I don't think you forge signatures in a repressive regime like that. I don't think anybody's that crazy. And I think... Um, when you have easy ways to attack people who are seeking public office, you got a problem. And we have a problem. This, and this is, to me, this is fundamental. We talk about Facebook, we talk about all kinds of things and public, <laughs> the new public-private partnerships of censorship. But this is classic, old-fashioned, somebody's running for office, somebody's saying something the powers that be don't like, and they're going to screw him around about his license. And they don't have, you, you look at, and, and we have a link at thisiscommonsense.org, de-licensing the opposition is the piece. Uh, and we have a link uh, to the video and, and he explains, you know, he has the letter there and he explains it and reads from it. It's, it's bunk. That's the nicest term you could use for it. Uh, and, and this is the world we live in. And, and so what can we do? Well, we can recognize that anytime we have licensing, and as Daniel Dion McKernan points out, he says, we should all bear in mind that devices such as vaccine passports and account cards for state-controlled digital currencies are affected or planned licenses for activities that used to require no such thing. And at some stage, such licenses are to be subject to withdrawal. And again, the more the state controls who can do what and when, and they have to ask permission and get a license, again, that's not really freedom. You don't have to have a license to use your free speech. 
you you shouldn't have to have a license to engage in commerce. And and when you look at, you know, some people say, well, to be a doctor, you should or what have you. When you look at the just huge spread, I mean, now you, it's health and safety for someone to cut your hair, to get a bad haircut. We have to have some huge bureaucracy to present prevent that. I mean, that's ridiculous. And in terms of creating this perfectly safe world, I'm sorry, it doesn't quite get us there. And so the, these things are very, very serious from a political standpoint. It's bad policy, but it's now really swerved so regularly outside the lines that you have to worry about if you run for office, what bureaucrat in some office, what enemy is going to file some complaint. You know, a lot of the campaign finance stuff works this way so that any lunatic can file a complaint that could cost you thousands and thousands of dollars because all of a sudden you've got some government agency who that wants all kinds of information and so on. It tends to help folks who believe in big government because they're ready to use big government to go out to their opponents. That's what big government is there for. And people who don't like big government so much we, we, we don't tend to think of that's what we should do next. I told the story, I think there's a, a common sense commentary about it, where I had a friend in Michigan who was working on a campaign. It was a term limits campaign. Chamber of Commerce spent a bunch of money, more than was spent in the rest of the campaign, uh, very late without reporting any of the sources or even reporting the spending. And then after the fact, they lost anyway. But after the fact, it was clear, oh, shucks, uh, yeah, there was all this money. We forgot to report during the campaign when people might vote accordingly. And I said to my friend, you gotta, you should file a complaint. And he said, I hate to use these. These are ugly laws, harassing people doing politics. I don't want to use them. And I said, you got to, because if you don't, then these laws work. Because that's exactly what they'd like is for these laws to, to for them to be able to use this against us anytime they want, but to never have to be subject to the same laws. And it's it's kind of ugly, but it, it to me, it makes a lot of sense, because in the real world, if if you don't if you don't make the other side live according to the laws they're trying to shove down your throat, um, they're going to continue to shove them down your throat because it doesn't hurt their throat at all. Well, what was the other piece that you uh, were most exercised to talk about this week? Well, I just think uh, what happened in Virginia is very big. And what we talked about louder in Loudoun, Loudoun County is the uh, big county, uh, fastest growing county. I'm in Prince William, which we used to be the fastest growing until Loudoun took it away from us. But anyway, uh, uh, Loudoun, we're, we, 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 butt up to Loudoun and uh, we're both kind of, we're exurbs, now we're more suburbs. Uh, almost everybody commutes into further into Northern Virginia or DC. And uh, Loudoun is the wealthiest county, maybe the wealthiest county in the country. It's the wealthiest county in, uh, in this area. I think the median household income is $142,000. Uh, so so not, a, not a poor place, a place where People believe in education, a lot of, a lot of uh, minorities, uh, and that's not just Black, but also Latino, also Asian. Um, 
And uh, a lot of those minorities, just like everybody else, uh, wants education and wants a good education. And, and, uh, and yet there's been all the problems there. And there's, there's kind of, I think, two things uh, to say about this. The, the first is this was a heck of a defeat for Democrats. Uh, just the scale of it. They lost the House. They had a several seat margin in the House. They lost it. They lost it pretty big. They lost all the statewide offices. They hadn't lost one since 2012. Um, th this was, uh, it, it was just clear that there were people who voted um, for Biden who voted for the Republican here. And and that's that says something, I think. And it, it uh, part of what it says is that the Democratic agenda, this this race was Terry McAuliffe, the former governor, former DNC chair, Hillary Clinton campaign chair in 2008, buddy of Bill's, uh, had, had been governor before, um, was ahead in the polls. This is a state Biden won by 10 points. And what was happening in Loudoun County made a big difference in Loudoun and throughout the whole state. In fact, in some ways, probably made more difference in other places in the state that are more competitive because Loudoun is a, you know, a, a democratic uh, stronghold. Mm -hmm. and, and it's interesting because we get a, a comment from Doug who we did a commentary because Doug argued when, when I first did this commentary about what McAuliffe had said, that parents shouldn't be telling schools what they should teach and so on. Um, and he said we took it out of context. And of course, so I looked even further into the context and realized, oh, no, there's like all this other evidence that this is exactly what McAuliffe believes. And of course, McAuliffe never backed off it, which we had a bunch of comments on this. And several of the commenters pointed out that McAuliffe has never backed off what he had said and that he had said it in other ways. But one of the interesting things that Doug said here was, was it a major factor, what happened in Loudoun County? No, it had no impact in Loudoun County, he says, because with all of this going on, McAuliffe lost or uh, won Loudoun County by 10 percentage points. And Biden won Loudoun County back in uh, 2020 by 10 percentage points. So it made absolutely zero difference. Now, if he were accurate, it still wouldn't actually be true because there's all kinds of other factors and the impact it had other places. But I did just spend a few minutes before I called you, that's why I was a little late, to do just a few moments of Googling and research or duck, duck, going and research. And he's not right. First of all, it was 11 points. Uh, McAuliffe won that county by 11 points. But uh, Biden won that county by 25 points, 25 points. That's a big population county. And to lose from the comparison 14 percentage points is a big, big difference. But I would argue it made a bigger difference. What happened in Loudoun County, because we, we might not have known any of the players, we just saw the dysfunction. Um, I think it had a heck of a, it, it sure impacted me. I'm in Prince William County, and I think it, it impacted people all throughout the state. Um, 
And, and what our commentary uh, was about was not just the election and how it played in the election, but there was a uh, interview of one of the biggest factors was that there was a rape allegation and then conviction. And that there was, and this all came out because uh, sometime in May, late May, there was a student, a male student who was wearing a skirt, sometimes went to school, it turns out in a skirt, sometimes didn't, was trying to find himself according to his mother. And this is a, it's linked at the piece uh, yeah, from a big election day interview she gave the, the Daily Mail. And, and so that's substantiated. And there was an allegation of forcible sexual assault in a bathroom in a Loudoun County high school. And um, then a month later, there was a school board meeting and there is discussion about transgender bathroom policy. And there is the statement made that there have been no incidents in the bathrooms at the high schools in Loudoun County, which makes the father of the girl who at that time was alleging this assault, that assault has now by a juvenile court judge, that uh, student who has still not been named has been found guilty of that assault. And, uh, but, but anyway, this girl's father becomes extremely agitated, maybe even we could say angry, <clears throat> and is arrested and taken into custody over it. And that's how it spills out that, oh, they didn't quite tell the truth. There is this sexual assault that was in the bathroom. Plus, it turns out, and, and uh, you know, it's like, have they become the Catholic Church? Because, they, you know, the Catholic Church has had a very ugly track record of taking people who do terrible things and deciding, let's send them somewhere else where nobody knows that they do terrible things. And uh, this case, they sent this kid to another school. He has not been convicted of the sexual assault he's been accused of there yet, but he has been accused of a second sexual assault at the new school he was sent to. So people reading the paper are saying, what the heck is going on? And it's and here's the thing. This doesn't prove that transgender. I'm not sure this kid is transgender, um, although he's wearing a skirt. So, it's, you know, it fits kind of the overall category. But this, this doesn't dictate what every, you know, uh, transgender person is going to do. It isn't the case that proves one way or the other. This is the case that proves the folks who are teaching our kids will lie and deceive us. That's what this case proves. And that's a, a more serious in the sense that it's hard to stop. Some people have problems. You can't, you, you can't stop everything. You try to stop it. But when those problems are covered up, they become so much worse. And so this is this is a serious, serious thing. And, and, and when someone tries to badmouth the voters of Virginia for being concerned about what's going on in that school. And of course, there was also the CRT, not that they're actually teaching CRT. They're just teaching obnoxious, racist things in many of the schools. 
but whatever words you want to use, whatever labels you want to put on it, this election was on that subject of the schools being used as indoctrination centers. And frankly, um, there have been past elections where maybe people were concerned about the right trying to use the schools as indoctrination centers. The goal here isn't for one side to gain full control and then to be able to indoctrinate good and hard year after year our kids. We want more choice. We want more parental controls because somehow I fear that the teachers unions are powerful enough that we're not going to get much real choice. But I, you want some way for that parent to say no. And part of it is, I've, I've never read, uh, some of this was over uh, Toni Morrison's book, Beloved, which is, has some uh, apparently fairly horrific uh, passages, uh, both in a violent and in a sexual way and so on. Uh, my, my wife read the book and she she's, was very concerned about those passages, she told me. This is a, she said, it's a very difficult thing to read. Uh, I know other people who have... Um, I, I don't have a problem uh, because I suspect that it is very good literature and it's about slavery and things that, you know, there, there are certain things that I've read, uh, you know, that, that uh, you know, about Rwanda or about the rape of Nan King or about, you know, uh, uh, the Holocaust or something where you can understand some people might not want to read it. And, uh, and of course, what do you do? Well, you, you have choice. And you have control so the parents can step in and make the decision. No, that's, you know, that's a bridge too far for my kid at this age. Okay, that's that's how it works. And and that's not that's not some right wing. Let's burn books uh, just in the same way that this objection to telling people if they're white, telling their kid that they're an oppressor or if they're black, telling them that they're oppressed, um, neither of which might be true uh that's that is you know that's been the response has been oh they don't want history to be taught that is so you know the, the closer you get to the reality of this the more you realize that isn't it isn't even in the universe that's a bunch of bunk and the only reason that it can even be said is there's enough different you know, kind of liberal puke media people on TV to be able to say it back and forth to each other. It's ridiculous. And, uh, and the election results, I think, show it. Um, and it'd be interesting to see if there's, if there's any real reaction um, from the, and, and I don't mean, you know, issuing a statement. I mean, any change to the push to go far, far, far left, socialist left. Uh, there's been a bunch of uh, the, I believe it was a mayor or city council member in, in uh, Buffalo, uh, where there was a kind of a more socialist Democrat endorsed by uh, AOC, endorsed by Bernie Sanders, and a moderate Democrat beat him, you know, right in campaign. Um, there's the Senate president, uh, which I will have something next week on, in New Jersey, who was defeated by a guy. And it came out to a lot of the early stories where they spent $150 or something. The guy ended up spending a, a couple thousand if you add everything in. Uh, uh, but come on, it's the Senate president. It's one of the most powerful people in state government in New Jersey. Uh, it's in a, a district that the teachers union, 
uh, years ago, I think it was 2017, went after him with millions, with millions and couldn't take him out. But given a choice of someone that they could somewhat believe in, this truck driver who did his own videos on his, on his iPhone or something, and uh, or Android, I don't know what kind of phone he had, but he, he's doing these videos and, and people can relate. Uh, it is, it's, you know, we just, we, we talk about representative government and, and for years I've been involved in what we call direct democracy, which is a, an end run around representative government uh, in the minds of a lot of establishment people. The reality is, it is the ultimate of representative government because everyone gets to represent themselves. But we are busy. We've got to like grow crops and we have to make automobiles and iPhones and, <clears throat> and clean, you know, uh, uh, the laundry and we, you know, whatever it is we got to do, we got lots of stuff to do. And so we have a, another form of representative government, which frankly isn't quite as good because it's removed from us. And that's where we elect people. And that is the part of government that has gotten, I mean, representative government is a euphemism for unrepresentative government. And we will continue to talk about that and talk about that. But it, it's, uh, it's funny, even in our system that is screwed up in so many different ways, has you know, so many advantages, like, like Virginia, one reason I think it was as close as it was is it's a six-week campaign, so that as as Yunkin took, you know, gained and people started to focus on it more, there was already a lot of banked vote, and uh, you know people had voted early and maybe they hadn't heard as much about Yunkin. I think had it been a two-week election, uh, he would have won by more. But anyway, with all of that there is still, it's an opportunity and, and people come out and you see that they don't want, um, you know, American people are not looking <clears throat> for government. And, and this is true on both the right and the left, although the left seems to be wanting to run off to the, to the crazy land, maybe a little bit more. Uh, the public is not interested in that. They're not interested in government remaking the whole society. Uh, they really would like the trash picked up and, you know, the, the schools to be good, healthy, safe places where their kid can learn stuff other than that they're an oppressor. And, uh, and you know, it's, it's, it's fairly straightforward stuff, I think, that, that uh, voters want. Now, <laughs> that's not to say that they don't sometimes want something for nothing. And there sure is a lot of, sure are a lot of promises to that effect being made by politicians that, hey, we can get it. It's not something for nothing. It's something, and you know, the billionaires will pay. But uh, but anyway, I noticed that the image for uh, that piece, louder in London. Excuse me, louder in Loudon. Louder in Loudon. Uh, Loudon. Loudon. Yeah, I can pronounce yes. it like Loudon. Have you ever seen Have you ever seen the movie The Devils by Ken Russell? No. Okay, it's a based on a novel, historical novel, what Aldous Huxley called The Devils of Ludon. And that's why I pronounced it such a funny way, because I'm used to seeing a word much like that pronounced very differently. Anyway, the image for the piece has your um, note for the piece, and it's about the footnote for the piece, which is yes. about Winsome <clears throat> Earl Sears, or Sears, 
uh, who's the new lieutenant governor, I understand. Well, and and she is. It's it's there. There are two interesting things about, uh, you know, the the exit poll that the Washington Post that, that are in, encapsulated in this uh, graphic. One, the question that the Washington Post asked in their exit poll, how much say should parents have in what their child's school teaches? A majority of voters said a lot. And of those, 77% voted for Yunkin. And, uh, and if you looked, it doesn't say on this graphic, but uh, among people who said hardly any at all, it was like 88% for McAuliffe. So um, there are people who think parents shouldn't have hardly any say, need to be dictated and told what to do with their kids because they're really society's kids. And those folks voted for McAuliffe and McAuliffe lost. But the other thing here, and, and to its credit, I'm going to give some credit to the Washington Post, which uh, no matter how much you try, only happens, is only possible like, you know, once every, every couple of years. But they had an article uh, the next day or two days after the election about Sears, uh, the, the black woman who is the lieutenant governor, uh, who is uh, in this picture, she's holding a, a rifle and... Uh, she is a uh, articulate, uh, fast-talking, and uh, straight-talking woman, and uh, is is if you you can go see her on YouTube and other places. Uh, she's great, and and she is the first black woman statewide official, and she's a Republican, and she's she. In none of her stuff did she say, "Hey, I'm the first. I'm going to be the first woman of color." Uh, most of the media didn't didn't play that up at all. To its credit, the Washington Post noticed it because if it had been Democrat, it would have been all over uh, the media. And then also the attorney general is the first Latino uh, elected statewide, uh, also a Republican. And again, didn't make a big deal of all that. But it's it, it, the truth is it's a bigger deal in a sense when it just happens because there's an open society and, and, you know, good people rise to the top. And, and so it's interesting to see that the minority candidates winning office in Virginia in 2021 were Republicans and not Democrats. Well, you know, the Democrats uh, make up for that every time they uh, put on blackface. So, you know, your Virginia politicians. It was, yes, there was there was so much said about that, that, that uh, and and frankly, uh, that's another one that that, you know, I don't have a smoking gun that the media, you know, had information and didn't come forward. But there seemed to be no interest in finding the truth of whether or not he actually put those pages into his yearbook. You know, he said, I don't know how they got there. <clears throat> but, you know, yearbooks don't tend to put stuff together for people if the people are supposed to send in their stuff. So somehow that got into the yearbook and there, there was a, a law firm. And, and what we're talking about is uh, uh, Northam. Uh, geez, I'm going to forget his first name. Ralph. Ralph Northam, who is the current governor, Democratic governor of Virginia, uh, had a section in his medical school yearbook where a fellow in blackface standing next to a guy in the Ku Klux Klan outfit uh, were pictured. And he was supposedly one of them. It wasn't quite clear which one. Uh, 
but claimed he didn't know what happened. Well, there was an investigation by a law firm that it was sort of kind of friendly to him, I think. He did not participate. It was in, in their report, he was not terribly forthcoming in terms of helping them investigate it. No media outlet decided we're going to go further and try to find out what happened here and dug on it because they didn't care because he's he's a politician that's on their side. So there's no interest in people knowing anything bad about him. We wouldn't even want to find out. We wouldn't want to waste our time because if we knew he was terrible, we wouldn't tell you. Yeah, yeah. Well, we should mention the three uh, pieces we haven't mentioned. Well, you've not mentioned two. You mentioned one without naming it. Oh, Friday. that's right. That Friday's. was the, yes. One against the mandate. Yes. On the second, you had to hang up on corporate racism, and on the third, Constitution free zones. Yes, and the uh, the hang up on corporate racism is about AT and T, and the fact that uh, it's been disclosed that they do have programs going on where, you know, if you're white, you're an oppressor and a terrible person and so on and so on. And, and so, you know, they, and, and of course they're free, they're free to do what they want to do. Although I'm not sure they're free to harass their employees. It does seem like kind of a hostile work environment, but uh, go read that. There are links uh, to more information about it. Uh, we got, we've got a serious problem and it's not all, uh, in the government, it seeps out into uh, civil society as well and makes it less civil. And then the the uh, Constitution free zones uh, is is really, you know, we have talked a little bit about qualified uh, immunity and this idea that people working for the government, you know, can't be held liable for violating your rights. And, and, you know, I, I think reasonable people might have some concerns that in some cases, obviously, you know, they're trying to do the right thing. They shouldn't be personally, you know, thrown in prison because, you know, they fell down and their gun went off or, or whatever, although any other person would be. Um, but, but we have a case uh, here, and I, I encourage you to go read it, Constitution Free Zones, where uh, this was just a violent assault basically on someone committed by a uh, homeland security agent um, and that's not okay and it it seems to me uh, you know this is is one where institute for justice is uh, coming to help defend the person uh, but but we have cases like this this is not the first one uh, where where government officials, commit an assault and need to be arrested. And I mean, this isn't, this isn't like mispolicing. This isn't when you think of the knee on, on uh, uh, George Floyd, uh, this isn't like this, this isn't like that. This is absolute attack on somebody, a violent attack. And we've, we've brought other ones. I remember the one, uh, I think it was IJ who was defending him where they, they had trumped up charges against him. And then somehow some of the video got out and it was like this person being beaten uh, by police. And, and uh, so, you know, again, this is it's just common sense that that is not somehow, uh, it, it really isn't about qualified immunity even. It's like, 
what did you just see with your eyes? There's no, there's no, oh, I get to shoot people or I get to beat them with a club. That's not how it works. So that that's, that's the, uh, that's our last piece for the, for the week. And um, it's, it's amazing. And again, it's the kind of thing where you can imagine some, there's some lunatic that gets hired. You can, you know, nobody's perfect, but that you have a, that we have a system that seems to protect these folks. That's what you and I ought to be able to fix. There we are. What we ought to be able to fix. Yes. Uh, that's a, probably a better title for this uh, episode than Paul Jacob is over 21. So uh, <laughs> that's both, not really a big, huge true. revelation. Yeah, but both, uh, both just exude truth. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, I can barely stay awake, so uh, this may get up at a weird time in the, in the middle of Saturday morning or something, but uh, I'll uh, talk to you next week. Hey, thanks, man. Okay, bye. Bye. And that was This Week of Common Sense for the first week of November 2021. My name is Timothy Verkulam. I'm trying to stay awake to uh, prepare this for the web by the time you get it i'll be asleep but if you are getting it you're probably getting it via a podcatcher listening to it on soundcloud maybe you're watching it on rumble it'll all be up sometime this weekend remember go to thisiscommonsense.org that is where you will find paul five days a week writing columns and where you'll find each version of this podcast thanks mm-hmm.